Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Nothing is everything. I don't know if you've ever run the Crescent City Classic. Have you ever run the Crescent City Classic before? Anybody? I'm the only one. Okay. Um, so like, there's like two people right now. Um, so, uh, so some of you will get this illustration. Some of you may not, but just take my word for it. I, read the, I ran the Crescent City Classic only once. This was years ago. It's a beautiful route that winds through the city. When I ran it, it began in the French Quarter and kind of wound through the French Quarter. And you find yourself in City Park. Here's what I want to tell you about that route. It's a 10K, so it's, what, 6.2 miles or whatever that is. When you get to City Park, you can see the finish line because you're kind of entering City Park right there. I believe it was around Ralph's on the park, right around in that area. At least that was the route the year that I ran it. And you kind of kind of see your way through the park, through the oaks and things like that. And you kind of kind of see the finish line where people are gathering. And so you know, at least you feel for a moment, that you're close. You've run the race and it's almost over. But I quickly found out because I didn't look at the route before I ran it that you still have over a mile left to go. And so you can imagine coming down the avenue, you see City Park, you kind of turn it up a notch, I'm almost there, I'm almost there, and then all of a sudden you're flat out of steam and discombobulated because you have over a mile left of winding through the park. And you're overwhelmed, you lose focus, and you're discombobulated, and so you're trying to pick up the pace, and then you slow down, and then you feel weighed down because your feet feel heavy, and you're trying to run the race, but... You're wondering, can I make it to the finish line at all? This is similar to what the people of Galatia are experiencing, that Paul had come in and he preached the gospel of grace, and they believed the gospel of grace, and now they're going through some sort of persecution, particularly through the hands of the Judaizers, and instead of being conformed to the image of Christ as they go through this persecution, they are submitting themselves to slavery yet again by believing a false gospel. By believing that salvation doesn't just come through grace, through the work of Christ, it's not just through that, but it's through their law keeping. That in order to truly be saved, they must keep the law of Moses, particularly circumcision. They were running the race unhindered, Paul says. He says that in verse 7. You were running the race well, but who hindered you? Persecution came and you realize that you have a little way to go and so you fall into this false teaching. And now you're weighed down. You're hindered by this false teaching. You've been running the race, but now you're believing the lie. And Christ had set you free so that you could run with abandon, run after Christ and enjoy Christ. But now you find yourself weighed down. I would imagine there's some of us like that this morning. You've been running the race. It's almost like you can see the finish line, but all of a sudden you find yourself weighed down. All of a sudden you find that you've experienced the freedom of Christ before, but you're weighed down and you're tempted perhaps like, like these people in Galatia to go back to keeping the law. Perhaps if I perform well enough, I'll feel this freedom again, experience this freedom again. Perhaps you're struggling on the other end this morning, which we'll Paul talk about at the end of this verse, that you're struggling with the, the word is licentiousness, living just however you want, that somehow that's the free, living in sin so that grace may abound. How will you experience the freedom of Christ yet again? This is what Paul is saying, that they're falling away. Look at what it says in verse 4. 
saying you're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now, let me say a word about that before we get into some of the other particulars of the text. Paul is not saying you can lose your salvation. We know from the scripture that if Christ has called you, those who he has called, those is those who he has justified, those who he has justified, he will sanctify, those he sanctifies, he will glorify, and those he glorifies will be with him forever. So you are secure if you are in Christ. And so what Paul is saying that as they've been believing these lies of the Judaizers, they're losing their grip on grace. They're losing their understanding of grace, and therefore they're finding themselves weighed down and burdened, not experiencing the joy and freedom of Christ that they once experienced. Now Paul is saying some of you might be severed from Christ, so it's not as though they have believed and now they've lost their salvation. He's saying if you are believing these lies, perhaps you have not truly believed. Because if you had truly believed, you would not believe these lies. And if you have truly believed when I'm exposing that this is not in line with the word of God, you will turn and repent and hold on to grace yet again. So it is not that those who are saved are in this passage at risk of losing their salvation because the truth is if we could lose our salvation, we would. If it was depending upon us, we would lose it. If it was dependent upon my performance, I would be doomed. But we understand that it's dependent upon Christ. And if Christ has saved you, you will not be snatched from your Father's hands. Those he loves, he has secure in his hand. They are at risk of proving that they've never believed the gospel of grace at all. That's what Paul is worried about. Have I labored in vain? I thought you believed, but now you're proving otherwise because you're believing this false doctrine. Perhaps they're not just proving that they haven't believed, perhaps some have truly believed, but now they're putting themselves back under the yoke of slavery. And Paul is saying, I want you to experience the joy of salvation yet again. How do we run this race? These are some questions that I want us to think through this morning. How do we run this race? If we have tasted the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we have tasted the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how do we run the race? And what counts? What's the prize? What are we after if we are in Christ? I don't want to do that under three headings this morning. I want to show you in this text this morning that Christ is our freedom, that Christ is our treasure, and Christ is our life. Our hope in all of this of running the race as well is to set our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith to get our eyes on Christ. And that's what Paul is doing throughout this whole letter. And that's what he's once, do, once again doing in these 15 verses. Brothers and sisters, get your eyes on Christ. Get your eyes on Christ, for Christ is our freedom. That's chapter 5, verse 1. Let's take a look. Christ is our freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a joke, to the yoke of slavery. Christ is our freedom. Here, as Paul begins this new section of the letter, the, the point could not be clear. Christ has set us free by his death and resurrection so that we would be free, free to run after him, free to experience a relationship with him, free to enjoy him forever. Christ has done that. He is your freedom. Notice in chapter 5, verse 1, that both the noun and the verb are the word freedom. 
Freedom is both the means and the end of the Christian life. Everything about the Christian gospel is that we have been set free by Christ, free from the burden of our sin, free from death. We have been set free. Jesus' whole mission was an operation of liberation to set captives free. Those who were under the penalty and curse of sin have been set free by Jesus Christ. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's done that for us. He has set us free and it is a complete action, completed action. The verb tense that Paul expresses in chapter 5 verse 1 is this freedom that Christ has set us free. It's a single past completed action. Here's what he's saying. If you are truly in Christ, you're free. You're free. You're free from sin. You're free from shame. You're free from trying to prove your worth. All of that has been secured in Christ. You are set free and it's done. It's finished. Christ has set you free. So he's saying, brothers and sisters, if that's who you are in Christ, that's what Christ has done for you. Why are you submitting yourselves again? Do you see what he says? To the yoke of slavery. Here's what he's saying. You're free. That's who you are. That's what Christ has done for you. He's accomplished that for you. So why are you returning yourself to slavery? This is, here's what he's saying. This is, if Christ is your freedom, living the way you're living, Galatian church, that's inconsistent with the gospel message and that's inconsistent with who you are in Christ. That's not who you are. You're free. Why are you going back? Here's what he's after throughout the whole letter. Why are you going back to the law? The law was the guardian, the tutor. It's absurd to go back into slavery now that Christ has set you free. Why are you doing this? These Judaizers, the more I study the book of Galatians, are fascinating folks. And here's why they're fascinating to me is because they come in religious garb. I believe I said this last week. That's what's most confusing about these Judaizers, at least to me, or perhaps most alarming, I should say, is that they come to us in religious garb. They don't come to us saying Christ is not the Messiah. They're saying Christ plus something else. And they bring people back into slavery. So Paul is saying, here's what he said, we have to be strong and stand firm and not be swayed because even people can come to us with a works-based system, works-based salvation and saying that if you are truly to be a follower of Christ, that was good when you came to Christ. That was good that you said, but what you really need, here's what they were saying, is to undergo circumcision. Keep that particularly part, particular part of the law of Moses. So I guess what's overwhelming or alarming to me is oftentimes going back into slavery comes from people who are dressed in religious garb. Not saying just to go live your life how you want, but live your life according to this law, this religious law. This can come, I find, in my own experience from well-meaning church leaders getting you to believe that their style, their brands, their preferences, those are what makes a church legit. And if you go to a church that's not like ours, you're, you're kind of missing it. Have you heard that before or felt that before from other people? If you don't go to our church, our brands, our style, our preferences, then you are missing it. And that's what these Judaizers are saying in, in the garb of religion, saying you're missing it. And Paul's saying, 
Don't buy it. If you have Christ, let's buy it. If you go to a church that's preaching Christ and exalting Christ, that's what you need. Because if you have Christ, you have everything and you have been set free. So Paul uses this, this military language. He says, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. What do we stand firm on? We stand firm on Christ. We stand firm on his word. We stand firm for our freedom. We stand firm in what Christ has done for us. We stand in our freedom. Paul is not saying that we earn our freedom, that we fight for our freedom so that we earn our freedom. He's saying Christ has done it. Christ has set you free. So stand in it and make sure you don't miss it. This is what Paul was telling. I mean, Jesus was telling the Pharisees as early as John chapter 8. Do you remember this? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, this is John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. If you abide in my word, remember what Paul is saying, I've come to you preaching the gospel. Because the revelation I received from Christ, I've come to you preaching the true word. And Jesus is telling these Pharisees early on in his ministry, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's how you will be set free. And they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham. Kind of similar to what these Judaizers are doing, right? We've undergone circumcision. We are the true children of Abraham. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not free. You're still enslaved. And they say, we've never been a slave to anyone, forgetting their history. And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me, Jesus says, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they said, our father is Abraham. And Jesus ends up saying, no, your father is the devil. So what is Jesus saying there? To truly be set free. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. How do we know? We stand upon Christ. We stand upon his word. We believe his word. We trust in his word. Because in that word, Jesus goes on to say, this word points us to Christ. Paul has said, I've come to preach the word. I've come to preach the unadulterated gospel. And they're adding to the gospel. Much like these folks in Jesus's day, they are saying that we are the children of Abraham because we have the law and we keep the law. Jesus is saying, no, the only way to be set free is not through law keeping, is not through biological offspring. The only way to be saved is to come to Christ. And if he sets you free, you are free indeed. Stand in that. The freedom that is being promised is the freedom from sin. And Jesus has said in John chapter 8 that we're all enslaved to sin, whether we want to admit it or not. Each of us is a slave to sin. And so in this passage in John chapter 8, these men couldn't see their own slavery. And Jesus promises them freedom, and they answer spitefully, we have never been enslaved to anyone. Jesus makes clear that they're slaves to sin, and at some point, the slave is kicked out of the house, and only the family remains. So you need the son, Jesus says, to set you free. So genuine freedom comes not from law-keeping. It comes from submission to the word of God. This is true freedom. Freedom, you're free in Christ, doesn't come, follow along with me here, 
doesn't come by moving past the gospel. We understand that, right? True freedom and enjoying Christ does not come with moving past the gospel. But by mining the depths of his grace. These Judaizers had come in. That's great what Paul preached. But what you really need is this. Christ plus something else. Christ plus works. Christ plus performance. And Paul is saying, if you are free, what you need is not to move past the gospel, but you need to mine the depths of his grace. So we see the second truth. Number one, you are set free. And if you are set free by Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, we dive deeper into the gospel. We mine the depths of his grace, which brings us to our second point this morning that Christ is our treasure. Christ is our freedom. Now Christ is our treasure. Look at verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, so that was the issue at hand. Acts 15 talks about that. In order to be saved, you must believe in Christ plus this particular work. Christ will be of no advantage to you. That's why we say treasure this morning. There's something that's an advantage to you. It's something that is of value to you. It's something that you treasure. So he is saying, if you add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, look, Paul, if you accept circumcision, Paul says, Christ will be of no treasure, no advantage, no love for you. Either Christ is your treasure, all your advantage is what he's saying, or Christ is nothing to you. It's Christ plus nothing is everything. If you add anything to that Christ, you have lost it all. This is what he goes on to say. Look what he says. So it's Christ your treasure. That's what's advantageous to you. That's what's of value to you is Christ. Look at verse 3. So Christ is our treasure. So, so okay, what, what else? I testify, verse 3, again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the adoption, for the hope, excuse me, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. I was inserting another Bible verse there. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. There's no treasure to you, but only faith working through love. So here's what Paul's saying. If Christ is our treasure, if Christ is our prize, if Christ is what we see as truly advantageous, if Christ is our everything, that we don't want to be severed from the thing that we treasure the most, right? You might know that in a relationship, that the, the worst thing that can happen is that you be severed from that person, that you be cut off from that person, because that person is the person that you treasure the most. And Paul is saying that Christ has set you free. Point number one, Christ is your freedom. If Christ is your treasure, the worst thing that can happen is that for you to be severed from your treasure. And Paul is saying the way that you're going, that's exactly what you're doing. You're severing yourself from Christ. How? Because they're polluting the gospel with law. That's what he's saying in verse 3, that you're, I testify, you're accepting circumcision. And if you're doing so, you're obligated to keep the whole law. So Paul is saying that you are polluting this glorious treasure by adding to it. You're taking this gold and you're putting back the, the dross. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Paul wants the Galatians to remember that you can't add to Christ without subtracting Christ. 
He's either all your value or he is without value. If law obedience becomes part of their system of salvation, it is their only system so that they are required to obey the whole law. James, the brother of Jesus, says this, doesn't he? If you break one part of the law, you break it all. If you want to be saved by the law, you got to keep all of the law. And Paul's saying, you know that you can't do that. You can't do that. Even if you keep this one part of the law, circumcision, completely perfect, even if you do that well, which you're not able to, but if you could, then you must keep all the law completely because that's what you're relying upon. They've polluted grace. They've polluted the gospel. They've polluted their treasure by adding to Christ. Paul is saying that these boil down to the same spiritual slavery. Under circumcision, the Galatians will experience once again the anxiety, the guilt, and the burden life they knew before they knew Christ. And that's what I want you to know this morning. That if we add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we add to our treasure, for Christ is our treasure, he is of great advantage to us, he's our only advantage, he's our only value that we have, then we will find ourselves once again under the burden of the law. And that's what the Judaizers are doing. And we will feel that burden. That we're never good enough. That we don't measure up. We'll live our lives fear-based and proud if we're able to keep some of the law. Guilt-ridden when we don't keep the law. We'll fall into touchiness and insecurity, pride and discouragement, weariness. For we are never to experience the worth that we have in Christ if our worth is based upon keeping the law. Paul is saying Christ is your treasure. You're severing yourself from the security that you have. You're severing yourself from grace. You're no longer experiencing the freedom that you were meant to have in Christ. So Christ is our treasure. We can't pollute the gospel with law. If we keep one part of the law, we must keep it all. So what's the answer? We must cling to Christ and cling to nothing else. It's a message that we cannot tire from hearing. It's a message that you probably needed to hear this week as you tried to build your value and your worth on something other than Christ, as you tried to experience freedom either through religious law-keeping or through licentiousness or whatever it is, and you realize that if you don't have Christ, then you have nothing. And we need to be reminded every moment, every minute that if Christ is our treasure, then brothers and sisters, we get to cling to Christ and hold to him by grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for everything, but only faith working through love. We cling to our treasure and nothing else will do. We cling to him by faith. We cling to him by trusting in him. When Christ is our everything, the only thing that matters, so are we clinging to Christ? Are you trusting him? And as verse 5, you see verse 5, through the Spirit we ourselves eagerly await for the adoption, eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. We live out verse 6. The more joy we have in our gracious salvation, the more we are driven by love and gratitude to do good for the sheer beauty of good. 
for the sheer delight of God, for the sheer love of others, if we are reminding ourselves that we are living in light of a certain hope, we will have our hearts overflowing with love. So here's what Paul's saying. Christ has set you free. Christ is your freedom. Christ is your treasure. And he goes on to say in verse 7, you're running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who's teaching you this? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This isn't coming from Christ, the one who set you free. The one who calls you has set you free. And if you are free in Christ, you're free indeed. Christ is not adding to this. These other people are adding to this. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So just adding a little bit of workspace is going to ruin it all. I have confidence that the Lord will take you, that by the confidence of the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Paul saying, this is not the message I preached. Stop believing it. In, the, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul is serious about this. Serious about standing firm. Serious about clinging to our treasure. Christ our freedom. Christ our treasure. Christ our life. When we realize that Christ is our everything. Look at verse 13. For you who were called to freedom, brothers. It's getting back to verse 1. Christ has set you free. Christ is your treasure. Cling to him. For you who were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And so now he's beginning to show us almost the other side. Of the, okay. So, so we don't continue in works. We're not saved by grace and continue in works of the law. We get that, Paul. If Christ is our life, what, if it doesn't look, does it look like, what he says here, using our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, Romans chapter 6, do we sin so that may grace may be done? Does it not matter how we live is what you're saying? We can live however we want. If we are free in Christ, we can do whatever we want. I'll say, no, Christ is your life now. You're living by faith and working through love. And so when the love of Christ, your treasure, has captured your heart and you're overwhelmed with the love of Christ, not overwhelmed with trying to keep the works of the law, but overwhelmed with the love of Christ, when you mind the depths of the grace of Christ and see the treasure that he is and the grace that is all the way down to the bottom, you work through love, not through law-keeping. You glorify Christ out of love, not to earn his favor, but because he has set you free, not to earn your freedom. You understand that, right? So we don't perform in order for Christ to say, you've done it, you've earned it, you've earned your keep. We're saying that he who has called you to freedom, brothers, it's a past tense thing. He has done it in chapter 5, verse 1. If Christ has set you free, we live our lives in love, and we do that by loving and serving one another. For the whole law. So what's the law? Do we keep the law? But Christ is not abolish the law, but fulfill the laws. So what law-keeping do we do? Not to earn salvation, but because we cling to our treasure out of love. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul is saying that Christ is our life. And if Christ is our life, then we love God. 
and we love our neighbors as ourselves, we think freedom often is throwing off all social restraints and doing whatever we want. But that's not freedom. That's slavery to our passions, to our lust. Don't return to slavery to law-keeping. Don't return to slavery, former pagans, Galatia, of your former lust and passions. Real freedom is the ability to say no to the fleeting pleasures of sin and hold out for the fulfilling joy that comes in Christ. Freedom is our calling. Our position as free is not obtained or maintained by performance. It's all grace by faith. It's done. He's accomplished it for us, but we are free from law. And now he has written the law on our hearts so that we might honor him in our lives. Let me share a few more thoughts. The gospel, therefore, neither leads us to live a guilty life since God has lovingly accepted us, nor an unholy life since the God who accepted us is perfectly holy. We just sang that a little bit ago. You're holy. The universe declares you, you're holy. To forget the first is to fall into the mistake that Paul deals with in verse 1 and lose our freedom to forget the second is to make the verse 13 error and abuse our freedom. And both means that we lose the grasp of the gospel. And so Paul declares to us this morning that if you have been set free, you are free indeed. Use your freedom to obey the law. What is the law? To love your neighbor as yourself, to serve in love. You're fulfilling the law, he said in verse 14, when you sacrificially welcomed me and served me, when you said you would gouge your eyes out for me. That was fulfilling the law of the gospel. You were proclaiming the gospel in your work then. But now you're trying to do that through law-keeping, and he's saying that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's faith working through love. And so Paul is telling us that gospel freedom comes from the understanding that we are free from the guilt of our imperfect performance. And he's also saying when we get to verse 13, that there's a motivational freedom. I'm free from the old drive to perform. I no longer need or want to follow the old pursuits as ways to win my righteousness or assure my self-worth. I follow Christ because he is my treasure, because I love him. I want to honor him. I want to show him. I want to display him. I want other people to behold him, so I will love my neighbor as myself. Paul is saying that the gospel both frees us from the guilt and slavery of sin and from the condemnation of sin and the motivation to sin. And now he is saying we're free to love and serve one another. And so how do we live? Look back in verse 5. I'll end here. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Here's the last thought I want to leave, leave you with. Christ is our freedom. Christ is our treasure. Christ is our life. Everything that we do is because we treasure Christ. Christ loves us, and therefore we love one another that others might see Christ. That's fulfilling the law, not going back to works-based salvation. And do you hear what Paul says in verse 5? Here's where I want to leave you. That we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. 
We don't anxiously wait. We don't anxiously wait for that day. If you are in Christ, you are free. We don't anxiously wait in this idea of will I accomplish it? Will I measure up? Will I do enough to earn the love of Christ? He's saying, no, if you've received Christ, if you are clinging to Christ as your treasure, if Christ is your only hope, if you are clinging to him by faith and trusting in him and trusting in him alone, you eagerly wait that day when you will be in the presence of Christ forever. And so we live our lives not anxiously, but we live our lives eagerly running the race well. So brothers and sisters, maybe you feel weighed down this morning. Let's run well. Let's get our eyes on Christ. He set me free. He's my treasure. He's my everything. Everything is for Christ. So I run eagerly, not anxiously, not burdened down, but in freedom because Christ has set me free. Let's pray.